Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Boomer, and Redcast Rob. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Redcast Rob. Well, on today's 38th anniversary of the Police Academy movie's original premiere, I would like to give a shout out to my good buddy Honky over here and tell him, you know what, man, I hope that you have a lifetime of enjoyment of all of those wonderful, wonderful comedy, whatever it is that they call that. Yeah. You know, once they once they did the uh, like Police Academy 5 down in Miami, they, it just lost all of its original, you know, uh, credibility with me. I don't know. City... The one in Moscow, I was like, I'm done with this. So, yeah. I'm also with Boomer. Yeah, really, in today's day and age, that whole Mission to Moscow thing, it's, it really shouldn't be played anymore. No, it, I agree. My understanding, yeah. But, but, but I think the Citizen Patrol really kind of wrapped up that storyline and answered all the pressing questions that the, that the others left out there. So, yeah, I, good to see. And I'm also excited for our guest today. You can finally get all those pressing uh, pre-World War One Husker questions answered that I know all of our fans have been dying to hear about. So. <laughs> Well, we're going to introduce uh, you to our guests here in a second. But first, I just want to get go through some of our normal house cleaning here that we have, or housekeeping. Uh, mark your calendars. This is uh, hot off the the, the presses here. Uh, we're going to have a Hus Girl Power show uh, live streamed on Monday, April fourth at eight thirty. And uh, you know, every even the writer of Nebraska's beloved fight song pointed out the girls are the fairest of any old place that he knew, and. Uh, We'll be teaming up with Meg and Kylie from the Popping Kernels podcast and a forum of other great Husker fans, Amy, Maddie, Sarah, and Abby. So you won't want to miss out on this one. And Rob, of course, as usual, our promo code. Um, yeah, if you go to herdout.com and go to subscribe to the Hale Mar- Varsity Magazine, which came out today. I haven't got a new copy of it yet, but it does include a really cool Redcast ad in there. Um, they, they've uh, screen grabbed a red a redcast tweet. So apparently they love us. We love them. And if you check out and use redcast at checkout, you'll receive a $10 discount on the first year of your Hale Varsity subscription. And speaking of interviews too, just kind of keep your calendars open as well as I've got a couple of things working here coming up in the future. Uh, near future, hopefully for next week, and then I might even be having another lunch cast coming up. I'm not going to say who it's with or whose dad it's going to be with. I know, but it's I know. Something, it's some really exciting stuff, and I know that Redcast Nation. Am I allowed to say that Redcast Nation? They're yeah, going to go for they're it. Gonna, they're going to love it. Um, it. It's going to be probably. I, I'm excited. I got Kevin Williams Jr. and I thought that, that was cool. And it um, was cool, Kevin. Williams yeah, and it was it was super cool. But I mean, you know, we're 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 you know, moving up the ranks here. You know, you could say that I'm starting to become a professional. Well, tonight we're speaking with a professional here. We're talking with Tyler Kai, who came to Lincoln in August 2021 as the Associate Athletic Director of Leadership Gifts and Capital Projects. He leads the overall major gift program for capital projects and endowments, secures major gift commitments from Husker supporters while managing the Huskers Athletic Fund. Welcome to the Redcast, Tyler. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, your career's taken you a lot of places, uh, Tulane and Tennessee prior to here, and you're also a graduate of both Iowa State and Kansas State. So let's start there. Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, what, what were some of the things that made you want to come to Lincoln, Nebraska? Yeah, so I was actually born in Nebraska. Um, I was raised across the river in, in Iowa, uh, so I know that uh, there may be some folks that will hold that against me, but I grew <laughs> up a Husker. Um, I, I have an old, you know, 1994 
Husker Pizza Hut football that I still have um, in my basement. So it's, it was always a part of my life. Um, I got into college athletics and uh, I've been really working in college athletics my entire professional career. The Huskers was always a program that I wanted to work for. Um, and it's for obvious reasons. I think that every fan can understand um, why anyone would want to work uh, for the Huskers or be a coach for the Huskers. Um, we have a lot going for us, strong history, strong fan support. Um, it's just an unbelievable athletics department. So as my career has taken me all over the country, um, getting back this direction was always something I wanted to do. And uh, timing ended up working out perfect. Uh, right before here, I was in New Orleans working for Tulane. Um, and if anyone's ever been to New Orleans, it's a fantastic place to visit. Um, we loved our time there. We were there for five years um, and would never, if you would have asked me, I guess when I was a kid, if I would have ever thought I'd lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, I would probably told you absolutely not. Um, but I'm glad that we did it. Um, but in our new phase of life, uh, I've got a, a one and a half year old son. Um, Lincoln is a, a fantastic place to raise a family. Um, now we're closer to family too. I've got a lot of family that lives in Des Moines. So um, it was a perfect opportunity to come here. And I think coming at a right time. Um, so I think that that timing was, was really strong, uh, as well. We, uh, we have a lot that we're trying to accomplish underneath Trev's leadership. Um, and so it's, there's a, I'm coming in at a place that I feel like not necessarily on the ground floor, but really as the scaffolding starts to go up, it's going to go up quickly. And that's a, a challenge that I'm excited about. Hmm. You know, Trev's talked a lot about a lot about like unity of purpose within the athletic department, not just uh, on the teams, but just really the, the culture within the athletic department. And I think we were talking, it was with, I think it was Brandon Vogel of Hale varsity a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about how it's almost like you got to get that right first at the athletic department before you can start, you know, fixing teams. It's got to, it's a kind of a cumulative thing. Have you, have you noticed the culture changing within the department, I guess, in, in since August when you got there? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably a, a, I don't know enough about the history, obviously, because I came mm -hmm. in around at the same time as Trev, so I don't know any different. But um, the energy in the department is really strong. Uh, and I think the other thing that I'm very, I've been very encouraged about, and we'll probably talk about it more on the show, is everything is up for evaluation and discussion. And I think that that's exciting as well. There's certainly some things that we do very, very well. Uh, and there's some things that we can certainly make improvements upon. But even the things that are doing incredibly well uh, doesn't mean that we're just going to continue to do them the way that we've always done them. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a byproduct of Trev's leadership and Trev's, um, you know, vision. Uh, we're talking a lot about our, our mission and vision statement as well and making sure that what we decide to do as a department um, makes sense and, and empowers and mobilizes everyone in the department to pull the rope in the same direction. Um, so, yeah, it's the there's a lot um that is encouraging for as an employee of where I see us going. Um, and I hope other fans uh, and people out there are that follow what's going on. Also see that I carry a lot of optimism for where we're going. And I hope that a lot of other people do too, um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's going to be a lot of fun once we can really pull all together with unity and purpose. You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we on the red castle, we do a constant evaluation all the time too. And Boomer and I, just before this, we were, thinking about cutting Rob. So, but you know, I don't know, we'll stick, maybe tonight you can stick around, but uh, you better be on your P's and Q's. Well, I, on a more serious note though, I, I do have a question for you kind of if, if, and maybe just for our listeners and, and for the people to come back and listen to this later, if maybe you can define a little bit more about what it is that, that 
your role is within the athletic department, well, I Rob, guess. That's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna oh, get to here. That so. is what we're getting to. Okay, that cool. is Sorry. what we're getting to here. Fact, I know he was giving that's the a nice segue. It's, it's, a segue. Segue. Yeah. it's a great segue actually into our tweets of the week. <laughs> and uh here are a couple of the tweets here from Tyler over the last few weeks. Uh, the first one was this week we welcomed two Husker Omaha Huskers to as newest members of our Nebraska Leadership Society. The generous support of our fans has always been the steady force behind our Huskers athletic programs. And then another one was, uh, I, I can't imagine you were driving when you took this photo, Tyler, but <laughs> let's go meet some Iowans for Nebraska today. Uh, so sometimes the job takes you to some seedy places, we understand. But uh, <laughs> I, I want to go to that first one here, the Nebraska Leadership Society. Can you give us a little bit of a understanding of what that is? Sure. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's important for me to state uh, I had the, the phone mounted, so I was not <laughs> touching it. Both hands were on the wheel, seatbelt on, was not speeding. And then down I-80. So uh, that's important for me to state. Uh, I was very safe when I was doing that. Uh, but yeah, the, so the Nebraska Leadership Society uh, is really a, a group of people that we recognize that give over $25,000 annually. Um, so that's collective, right? So if you have uh, seats on the West Sideline that you're making a donation for, uh, you gave $10,000 for those, uh, that, those seats uh, as a donation. You gave $10,000 to the Go Big campaign and you threw $5,000 to our volleyball program uh, in honor of their five national championships. That would then qualify you for our leadership society. Uh, it's really as a part of our structure within the Huskers Athletic Fund um, to, you know, really to put people in different categories, if you will. We have walk-ons, black shirts, all Americans, directors, et cetera. The leadership society is really the top tier of that. Um, so it's important for me to note that I recognize not everyone can make a $25,000 contribution annually. That is a pretty significant contribution. And the average donor um, in the Huskers makes it really closer to a $2,000 gift a year. So um, this group is, is uh, about 250 donors um, or families, and they're across the entire country. So I think we have about 17 states that's represented. A majority of those folks are here in Nebraska, uh, but you know, really leading into that next tweet, um, we have people all over the place. So there's members um, of the Leadership Society that are in New York, California, Scottsdale, uh, Seattle, Dallas, uh, all over the place. So um, there's, uh, as we all know, there's Huskers everywhere. And so this, this Leadership Society is really to try to provide an opportunity for us to recognize those who are incredibly generous um, and invested a significant amount of money into the future of the athletics department. Okay. Yeah. And then I guess really to answer your, your question too, Rob, the way I describe my job is ultimately um, I would get fired if I don't raise money, right? My job is to generate revenue for the department. Um, but as a byproduct of that, I get to go and travel around and meet with Huskers to help people figure out um, problems with their tickets and their parking, as well as talk about uh, different giving priorities. If folks want to set up a scholarship, uh, we talk about that a lot, um, talking about the Go Big project or any other capital and or capital and uh, campaign we have going on. Um, I cover all of it. In addition to also talking a little bit of some shop about our football program, volleyball program, bowling, rifle, you name it. Uh, we, we basically cover it all. So um, I, I've met a lot of uh, very different people that are Huskers fans um, from Des Moines, Iowa to Omaha. I've got to get out to the west side of the state. Uh, so, Rob, maybe I'll come out and see you in Colorado sometime. But Man, do you uh, drink beer? I, I do. I, I well, will we've beer. got two of the best breweries in Colorado and a couple of distilleries right here in Greeley. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. 
Come on, well, you're not drinking right now, so uh, you know what, man. I'll sit with you while you have a beer. I, I I'm not, I'm not one of those non-drinkers. He, right? he did that he... with me last week. I was in Greeley a week ago tonight, actually, and and we went to those distilleries and breweries, and and he watched me drink. So yeah. I love it. <laughs> kind of yeah, a creepy, yeah. but it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I just sat yeah. there, sat there and watching. Hey, and we, got get, we got a guest bedroom too, man. You're welcome to stay. You know, save the, <laughs> save right. the. Uh, I'm really getting into weird areas here, Rob. Some money. I know they're, I know they're, I know they're strapping for cash right now. So. You know, it's uh, well, you've got the Go Big project and you've got the Go Big Redcast. I just want to make sure our listeners know that we're not affiliated yet. Right. Yeah. There's no official <laughs> partnership um, yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, it, it, part of your job, you said, is to help people out. And I think something that was interesting that's happened in the last couple of months is the Memorial Stadium survey that went out where, you know, the best way to help them is to hear from them. And right. to kind of go over some of the initial results here. And this is just high level stuff on this first slide. But uh, the surveys completed were almost 22,000, which were about 10% of the 222,000 sent out. Uh, median age was 45 to 54. The median income was 100,000 to 150,000. 79% of the responses uh, were from people within 150 miles or less of Lincoln. And as far as areas where Memorial Stadium is currently overperforming, uh, sound system quality, covered seating availability, scoreboards, and video boards. Uh, areas of underperforming are parking access, convenience of purchasing concessions, and stadium exit process. And uh, the last thing I added on this one, and it was really just because of the percentage, the element that could be most enhanced was seat comfort, 77%. And the number two option, which I don't, even, I can't remember what it was, but it was at 24. So there was a large drop off between uh, you know seat comfort and whatever the next one is. But uh, I guess, Tyler, as you see that, is there anything that jumps off the page when you see those results or any surprises? You know, I think we were we were pleased with the results uh, when it comes to the amount of people that took the time to fill it out. So thank you for anyone who did that. Um, it was a lengthy survey. We tried to be as detailed and comprehensive as we possibly could. And we, we utilized a, an industry standard group to help compile the questionnaire uh, as well as provide some analysis for us. Um, so that was first and foremost. I think we were very happy that 21,000, 22,000 people filled it out. Um, outside of that, it was good to put numbers to trends we had thought were occurring, right? Um, it wasn't a surprise really to any of us that seat comfort was uh, a hot button issue and that there's something that we need to do to address seat comfort. Um, anyone who sat in Memorial Stadium on a bleacher seat uh, recognizes that they probably haven't had always the best experience when they sit on one of those bleacher seats packed in with 90,000 other people. So, um, Maybe not necessarily something that was terribly surprising, but um, something that we were glad to see uh, matched our our suspicion. Our suspicion. Um, when it came to the to also the, I think there was another slide in the presentation as well that was talking about those that traveled from outside of 150 miles too. There was obviously a taper off. Most people are traveling from within the 150 miles, but then when you look at uh, Western Nebraska, people from, coming from Scotts Bluff. We have a lot of folks that are, are coming from further distances. There's a lot of folks that have season tickets in Des Moines and people that have season tickets in New York. Um, I think there's people in North Carolina that have season tickets. So we also recognize that um, Lincoln and Omaha are a bulk of where a lot of our people are coming, but there are several people that are coming from long distances as well um, and are dedicated to coming five, six, seven Saturdays uh, every year to the stadium. So as we just evaluate um, what comes next, because truthfully, we haven't started talking about 
really what does come next. We wanted to make sure that we gather the information first before making any type of decision on how Memorial Stadium could be modernized um, or what our fans are even expecting with their experience in Memorial Stadium. Uh, this was a critical piece of information for us to then take, analyze, and make good decisions on on how we move forward. Hmm. Uh, Boomer, Rob, do you have any thoughts or questions on the on the survey up to this point? Yeah, there were some things I was curious on the survey. Uh, I know the median response age was what forty five to fifty four. Uh, how does that compare nationally to other programs? I realize that's who responds, but you know the the stereotype of a lot of people in the stadium, it's always the blue hairs are in the stadium. I mean, sure. how does a Nebraska fan in the stadium compare to the rest of the country or at least the power five? Well, it's funny. Whenever I go to national conferences, we, we all have the oldest fan base. Everyone says that, right? Whether you're at mm-hmm. Tennessee or UCLA, everyone's like, oh, our fan base is the oldest. Uh, the reality is I think uh, naturally the fan bases that are buying season tickets um, are in that same demographic. Um, the, the way that we look at different generations, younger generations are, are consuming sports a little bit differently than probably a, a 45 or 50 year old would. I think we, we expected a little bit of that same, uh, a little bit of some correlation between the res- respondents and that median income. Um, obviously, folks that are a little bit more established in their life or in their careers are probably making a little bit more money um, and are buying season tickets and attending. Uh, there's also a generational piece here, too. I think our average donor and season ticket holder has been involved for over 15 years. So there's a lot of longevity when it comes to our fans. So all of that kind of correlated a little bit. I think that our this is not backed in any fact, so don't hold me to this. But I was astounded to see the average um, li- you know, lifetime or years of giving for Huskers as it relates to the other institutions I've worked for, um, like Tulane, Tennessee, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Um, I think that our fans have been involved for much longer um, and have stayed involved for much longer um, than the average fan base. Um, That may not be surprising to folks, as you know, that uh, tickets are passed down generation to generation. But for me, it was, that is something that was, um, was very different than my previous experiences. Yeah, when you see the team, you know, when they played Iowa last year and they're three and eight, you know, it's the end of the season. The season didn't go the way any of us wanted to, but you're seeing a full crowd. I mean, having been at Tulane and been at K-State and Iowa State and Tennessee, that doesn't happen other places. I know some people sometimes will question the the validity of the sellout streak. BS. That's That's legit. What this fan base continues to show up time and time again, win or loss. I mean, it truly is, you know, I guess we all stick together in all kinds of weather, but the, I mean, that's got to be impressive to see. Honky, it's unbelievable to me that we have the dedication, the passion, and not only that, but the generosity um, that we have in our fan base. It is an unbelievable um, phenomenon that occurs in Memorial Stadium, regardless of the, the outcome of the game. Um, I'll even go to, what was it, Fordham that we were up 42 mm-hmm. to 6, and there's still 70,000 people in the stadium clapping, cheering, engaged in the game. That is unusual, right? That is mm-hmm. not the norm. You look at places even like Alabama, their student section leaves at halftime, um, and half their fans are, are running for the exits at halftime if they go up big. Our fans are dedicated to staying, and I think that that is um, a really impressive characteristic of, our, of all of our fans. Um, and something though, at the same time, we cannot take for granted because of that reason. Um, 
Nebraska is different than a lot of other places. Um, we have a lot of places have generous support. A lot of places have more donors than we do. We have 17,000. There's some schools that have 24,000. Um, so they have more. But the commitment and dedication that our people have to the Huskers is truly unmatched. I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the ownership that this state and the, the, the people here, the alumni, every that the ownership over the program is uh, it's unlike anything I've seen any, any place else. And when I go to games, that's something that I know I hear from other fan bases when they talk about us there. Well, let's go to the second slide of the results. And this is the one I know Boomer would love to get into here. And it's the alcohol. Come on, the booze, right? We need to we need to get that going here at Memorial Stadium. And I say that a little bit with the you know, tongue in cheek because I, I know that we have some uh, red casters that are, I'm sure you hear this, they're vehemently opposed to it and some that are absolutely for it. But according to the results, uh, 72% had a positive or neutral attitude towards alcohol. 83% had a positive or neutral attitude towards alcohol-free sections. That's an area I'd like to talk about in a little bit. Um, 80% uh, had said there'd, there'd be no impact if there was an elimination of the stadium reentry policy. And I think that the last statement here, alcohol sales would have an overall net positive impact on attendance at Nebraska home football games. So I guess, you know, as, as you get that information back there, what do, what should Husker fans start to expect? Um, not just at Memorial Stadium, but a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the Big Ten wrestling tournament at PBA where there was alcohol sold. Uh, that was a Big Ten event. But uh, now that what are your learnings from that, the Garth Brooks concert, all that kind of cumulatively added together? What are some of the, the takeaways that we can start to expect? Yeah, I think expect us to be thoughtful and strategic with how we proceed. Uh, the results are encouraging for those who want alcohol sales, uh, but it's not as easy uh, as flipping a switch really at Memorial Stadium to introduce alcohol um, into the stadium. There are some infrastructure things that do need to be addressed when it comes to uh, Memorial Stadium. Um, now, I, I would be, you mentioned the Big Ten wrestling tournament. Obviously, Pinnacle Bank Arena is equipped to have alcohol sales. They do it at concerts and other special events. Uh, so it's easier for us to introduce it there than it would be at Memorial Stadium, just from a pure infrastructure perspective. We learned a lot from um, the Garth Brooks concert from that infrastructure. Uh, there isn't, we don't have a lot of coolers space if we were doing canned beer um, or canned alcohol. Um, so we have to bring in refrigeration trucks to keep alcohol cold um, or drinks cold. So those are some things that as we look to doing it at Memorial Stadium, we want to make sure we do it right. Um, and I know that's a big, a big emphasis for Trev as he's making these types of decisions um, is let's if we're going to do it, let's make sure we're doing it in the right way. And it's the best business decision for the Huskers um, and for the athletics department, um, while also providing our fans with a positive experience, because we don't want somebody to have a negative experience when it comes to alcohol sales. Uh, which is why we even asked that question about alcohol-free sections. Uh, listen, I say ideas are easy. Execution is everything. It's, it's, it's an easy idea to say to have alcohol-free sections. Um, without having alcohol sales in Memorial Stadium, we certainly already feel the impacts of intoxication. So it's, it's hard to be able to police that. Um, but there are, there are other areas or other schools around the country that have what are called family fun zones or family sections uh, where you're really targeting more of a family um, to attend the game or sit in similar sections. So it's, it's possible that some of those types of things could be introduced. Uh, but we haven't, uh, like I said earlier, we haven't taken any of this information and set out a plan yet. 
Uh, we really wanted to gather the inf- information, mm-hmm. analyze it, and then put together a game plan for how we proceed. Well, I know some of the feedback we got on one of the social media platforms a month or so back when we wrote something positive about alcohol, and I've seen this from other people, is, well, we don't want Colorado from the 90s. And let me be very clear. I don't want Colorado from the 90s. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants Colorado ever. Sorry, Rob. But um, no offense taken. But back in the day, that was when that was the, you know, that was one of the only schools doing it. But I think it is important for people that um, maybe have those memories of 20 years ago is to understand in today's climate, you know, how many schools in the Big Ten already have it? Right. Uh, Ohio State, I know we went to that game. Uh, Boomer, you've been up to Minnesota. Yeah, they, Minnesota has it. And, I mean, they sell grain belt beer there, which barely qualifies as, yeah, as food, but anyways. it's, you know, I guess technically it's beer. Yeah. yeah. Illinois has it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Illinois, the Illinois I think game Purdue last does year. too, don't they? If I remember yeah, right. Purdue, so, yeah. Purdue did. So, I mean, you probably, do you know the number off the top of your head, Tyler? Or? I actually do not know the number of, of Big Ten institutions or even schools around the country, but the trend is going towards mm-hmm. it. Um, I mean, yeah, it's I not know, uncommon. It's anymore. really not uncommon at all. I think that a lot of schools have introduced it. And I think even the early pilots of the program, West Virginia was one of these that did it. Um, they did a study on alcohol-related incidents in their stadium. They actually saw a decrease in alcohol-related mm-hmm. incidents. And I think the byproduct of that is just people aren't binge drinking as much out in the parking lots before mm-hmm. they go into the stadium. We are a little bit of a unique beast. And even on their, um, on the survey, we asked a question about reentry. Most places, when you start introducing alcohol, um, will not allow reentry, and that's really a liability issue as well. Um, if you start selling alcohol, uh, depending on state laws, there's there's some liability that could be associated with overserving someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot to consider when it comes to that. But West Virginia saw a significant decrease. A lot of other schools saw a decrease uh, in alcohol-related incidents. A prior institution, Tulane. Um, now, granted, uh, the caveat to this is that you're in New Orleans, which is a, a drinking <laughs> culture. Um, th- there were very few alcohol-related incidents. And in one of our club areas, um, it was all-inclusive uh, wine, beer, soft drinks, and food. Ooh. So all with your ticket, uh, you got all free drinks, um, all food, et cetera. And I will tell you, in my five years at Tulane, I don't think there was one alcohol-related incident that occurred in the club which is pretty astounding to think about when you're talking about an open bar. So I'm looking here and I found something that actually says like which schools in the big 10 specifically sell alcohol. Um, and through 2021, there was Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Ohio state, Purdue, Rutgers, and Minnesota. Those are the schools that, so eight schools that, that sell alcohol. I don't know if Iowa does it, did it this year or not because, um, it was a pilot program for them. So we'll, we'll see if they continue to do it. I, I, I would assume that they probably are. I haven't heard anything. To yeah. Those are, but. yeah, those are the schools that offered uh, for general sales. I think uh, Penn state, Wisconsin, Sparty and uh, Hydrox and you have it as part of their private suites and premium seating. So yeah. Nebraska uh, and Michigan are the only, only ones that, I basically a dry stadium. Hydrox NU is Northwestern, yeah. Tyler. Sorry, we call them Hydrox NU. So yeah. they're they're like the other Oreo. Yeah, I mean, sure, they were the Oreo first, but nobody cares. So yeah. that's yeah. Well, we all know I, who the real NU is. So. I read the the West Virginia study, and yeah, the the binge drinking went down, but the couch burning went up strangely enough. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Not sure how that correlates. Yeah, I, I don't know either. They'd have to probably do some more longitudinal studies on that to figure out if there's <laughs> there's some correlation. Hey, Boomer, do we have any comments? 
You had a bottle uh, yeah, so we've got a few here. Uh, let's see, Jason Stinger, one of our loyal listeners, he thought alcohol-free section seemed like a bad idea. Maybe a guy just wants a beer, and people aren't probably going to get drunk on $10 beers anyway, and that's probably You'd fair. You'd be so, surprised, yeah. Jason. You should come to an A's, <laughs> you should come to an A's game with me sometime, yeah. you know? Because yeah. like, you got to think about what they consume in the parking lot, and then by the time they're on their $10 beers... You well, know, but that's, that's that's the thing. You're not you're not drinking ten dollar beers to get drunk. If you're already showing up that way, which is completely outside of the stadium, you can't control that. What I right. thought was interesting was when Dave and I and uh, went with friend Gary and his his girlfriend at the time. Uh, we went to the Ohio State game in 2016, and when you lose 62 to three, you'll take every beer you can have. But leading up to that, it was a night game, and so we were. You know, I mean, we were just having your normal amount of drinks. But what I remember was them kind of saying, hey, you know, you don't have to worry. No one's binging at the end. You're, you're not drinking those last three in the last 30 minutes because, you know, you can just get to the game. And and uh, it kind of lets you just I don't know. I, I just kind of spaced them out a little more and sure. and it was a little more responsible. That's again, that's on me. I, you can't <laughs> you can't uh, police everyone that way. But, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't see any issue at all with it or how it was administered, at least at Ohio State. And again, when you're paying ten or twelve bucks a beer, it's pretty hard to. You're not showing up sober and getting drunk on that. I'll just put it that way. That's a that's not probably going to happen. That's a value. Yeah, and I think that's to Jason's point. That's exactly what what makes this a, an easy idea, and it, it can be difficult to execute. Um, I think that there's there's obviously education that needs to go into making sure that people understand that if they are buying a ticket, they're buying into an alcohol free section. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of layers to making sure that. If we do it, uh, and this goes back to everything that we're trying to accomplish here, if we're doing it, it needs to be a thoughtful, strategic approach to how we actually execute it. Um, and we need to be prepared for um, all sides of, of that uh, conversation. So we see a lot of value in it. And I think that, um, the, and, you know, Honky, you could probably even put the, the slide back up. I, what was it? It was uh, positive or neutral. Yeah, 83% positive or neutral attitude. Um, so I wouldn't say that the vast majority, unfortunately, Jason, were negative about alcohol-free sections. So it is possible it could happen. Um, but again, we haven't even gotten to that point where we know exactly how we'll execute all of this. Um, so it's it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. And and I do, I do think one thing that all sides, no matter what you, you fall on, is that we all want Memorial Stadium to continue to be the the experience that it is for opponents, for, for kids, for, right. for families. I mean, that is something that is so uniquely special. I can remember Merrill Hodge coming, I think, at the BYU game in 2015. And, and we lose on a last-second Hail Mary, and he still talked about just how amazing the fans were in a game where, you know, you could expect all the worst from the from the fans. But, but that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, we want Memorial Stadium to always be special. We just – you know, can we do that in the same way? Can we have the best of both worlds, be able to continue to keep that environment while also allowing adults to to be able to have a, a drink? You know, that's that's the goal, at least for, that's the goal of the Red Guest. <laughs> well, well, and you yeah. know, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, one of my all-time favorite questions to ask any Husker fan is, do you remember your first football game? And I think mm-hmm. that that elicits a lot of really positive memories for folks mm-hmm. coming to the stadium as a kid. And we don't want to lose that purity. I mean, I think that's really important that um, people still feel comfortable to bring their kids to a football game and, and don't feel as if the atmosphere is is for adults only. So um, Travis said Memorial Stadium belongs to the people um, mm-hmm. of Nebraska. And that is very true. It belongs to um, kids all the way up through, you know, our, our older kids. 
Well, my my first experience at uh, Memorial Stadium was the CU game. Um, you know, what was that four years ago now? Is that, is that, is that about right? Um, I, you know, I come from Northern California, moved out to Colorado, finally got an invite to come out to that game with, with the Redcast guys. I have to say, I mean, I've been to a lot of stadiums around the country and it, it was probably one of, if not the best experience that I had as far as just a fan base, you know, yeah. was the people there were super nice you're driving through the state of Nebraska and it doesn't matter where you stop to get gas, you know, where you stay the night. I mean, my wife and I stopped halfway there and stayed the night somewhere and then drove the rest of the way to Memorial the next morning. I mean, it was red as far as the <laughs> eye could see. It was, it was like a national holiday and it's even like that for the spring game. I came out there last year for the spring game. It was the exact same way. It was like a national holiday red as far as the eye can see. And you don't see that anywhere else outside of, and, and I know they're going to laugh at me, but you don't see that anywhere else outside of like a Raider game where they used to have the park, the parking lot at Oakland Coliseum was full of silver and black. As far as the eye could see, it's like 40 acres of nothing but people tailgating as far as the eye can see it's silver and black. And that's the only other time I've experienced anything like that in my life. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm part of two best fan bases in sports. Like that's that for me. And the Huskers are way nicer than Raider fans. I will say. Yeah, I that. shriek every time you compare Husker fans to Raider Nation. I'm not gonna. I, I was wrong, but... I was only comparing it as far as the scene goes, but as far as people go, Husker fans are way nicer. That's true. Well, well, uh, random tangent back to the survey. I just. Did you just have any questions who the 2% of people that thought we needed salads as a food enhancement <laughs> at the games were? What kind of maniac sits at a football game? I could really use a chef salad right now. Oh, that was me. I'm sorry. Oh, that makes sense. That was me, too. I really could go for a Cobb salad. Um, in the When the light show is going on in the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter. Uh, no, I, I think, um, I don't know. I, we obviously didn't extrapolate that out, but. Um, maybe that was one thing I was a little bit surprised by was um, concession variety. Um, mm-hmm. Most most of the responses were to local chains, which I would assume that is, you know, our Valentinos, Runza, Fairberry Hot Dogs, et cetera, um, that there wasn't more of, a, of an interest in, you know, brisket sandwiches or, uh, you know, an Omaha Steaks kebab or something, right? Like, I think that was something that we were anticipating coming out of those results. Um, so the, to see a, a large portion um, select the local chains uh, as what they would like to see in the stadium. Maybe personally from where I sit was a little bit surprising. Hmm. Uh, well, maybe one of the last things I guess I have, the seat comfort was was brought up. And I know taking the, the survey, there was a lot of questions about different types of seating, you know, from, yeah. from outdoor, indoor, club, low seating. And um, I guess what were some of the takeaways that, that you got from that? And, and what's the feedback on, on doing more of those. Cause that, that is, that's getting into the higher price thing. And that was some of the feedback I saw from people that took the survey was that, geez, you know, we're not, you know, how much money do you think we got here? We can't, we can't buy one of these, but, but uh, I just, I'm curious what the feedback was from that. Yeah. Um, well, and Rob, you, I think you've obviously been over to the Raiders stadium, the new Raiders stadium. They've, they've got a variety of seating options at those stadiums. Um, most new stadiums today offer, Loge boxes, clubs, uh, you know, the Vikings have a club section that the team walks through pregame. Um, so there's stadiums, I think, uh, in, in today's modern age, especially if you're, you're to design a brand new one, offer a variety of experiences. Um, and Memorial Stadium's entering into the 100th year next year, 2023. 
Um, so obviously when stadiums were designed over the last, last hundred years, um, bleacher seats were the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Then I think we evolved maybe to, to, to chairbacks. Uh, suites then got really popular. Now I would even, I had a phone call with somebody with the Green Bay Packers a couple weeks ago and the Packers are even having conversations about if their suites are too large because they're, what they're seeing is people would rather have four and six um, mini suites, which are those loge boxes. So I think as we looked around the country um, to benchmark other professional football stadiums, as well as collegiate stadiums, a lot of them are starting to offer those uh, varying seating experiences. Oklahoma has loge boxes and, and a couple different club areas. Um, it, when we went down there, we toured through some of those areas too. So we just, we, what we really wanted to do is understand the appetite for what types of experiences people are looking for, mm-hmm. um, especially knowing that likely people are um, don't want to sit on a bleacher anymore. So if you're not going to sit on a bleacher, what would be your choice? Is it a chair back? Is it a loge box? Is it uh, a ledge seat? You know, would you like to just have a, a bar top with a ledge? You could set a drink down and watch the game on as, uh, as being a different experience. So hmm. that was kind you, of the impetus of all that. You know, and, and that, that experience that I had, I, that was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was in Las Vegas for 311 day and, and my uh, sister and brother-in-law bought me a, t- a tour of that stadium. That, and it's brand new. And I have to say that um, one, it was, I mean, it was almost a bit much, right? Like you, you walk in and it was cool. They, you know, I, you can see here, I, you, I got to see the, the Super Bowl trophies. They're really old. I got to see, um, but, but one of the cool things was, is I got to see like Mark Davis's suite. I got to see like the club level, um, what they do there. They literally have a club level too. It's like $50,000 season tickets to get access to this club all kinds of celebrities are there. They can literally walk out of the club and be field level, like you said, standing at a bar where they can just set their drink there and watch the game right behind the players because the field there is is a, it's like a four foot structure that they drive into the field every single game where the grass is there, um, and so it's it comes field level. They have they have like a whole section there too, which is like club level seating, but. It, it's catered by celebrity chefs every single weekend, you know, with the game. So, yeah, I mean, so some things don't always apply. But, when, there, you but, know. There's, but there's also one thing they have there is there's not a bad seat in the house and there's right, all kinds of options, right? Even sure. the, even the top, top seats all the way up still have an excellent view of the field. There's no scoreboard in the way. There's nothing like that. You can see almost all the way across the stadium. So it, it was, it was absolutely amazing to see. It's very comparable to like Minnesota's new stadium there in Minneapolis. Right. Um, the Vikings, which I've also been to that stadium, um, you know, and I guess my question would be on that is, you know, things like that, once they do the upgrades, are we going to be allowing, or are we, are you going to be allowing tours, you know, giving tours, things like that? Cause like, I only come to Nebraska a couple times a year now, but I would love to be able to see the stadium. I'd love to be able to walk around and kind of understand the history of it with the hall of fame, things like that. What, are there plans for that? Yeah. So, uh, and it really goes into the go big project. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we're looking to do there um, when it comes to a little bit more of a fan centered approach. Right. So right now uh, in the North stadium lobby of the uh, Osborne complex, we do have some of our, we have our national championship trophies, our Heisman trophies, some small display cases uh, that showcase some of our history uh, we like to be able to showcase more of that history. 
Um, we're still in some concept phases of all of this, but the idea is that we want a space that fans can easily access, not only on game days, but also on um, any day of the week. So Rob, mm-hmm. when you come to town on a Thursday, you can come by and see any of these artifacts. Um, I think a lot of people's experiences in the state of Nebraska, I, I did not experience this myself, but the fourth grade trip to the state capitol, um, making Memorial Stadium a, a part of that, right? right? Yep. So people come and tour Memorial Stadium um, and the kids get to see Memorial Stadium. The challenge is, is obviously you've put that in the stadium uh, on game days. It makes it a little more restrictive to get in. So sure. we struggle with that right now. I mean, obviously the North Stadium entrance is, a, is an entrance to our suites on the north side. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, if you don't have a ticket in the suites, you can't come in and see the national championship trophy after a certain point. So how do we um, you know, really isolate that out? Um, into another space. So I suspect a part of that will be um, will be in the Go Big project, uh, mm-hmm. but still, again, still conceptual um, with well, that. Well, well we will to- be out there on a Thursday for the spring game, so just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Reach out well, to me. I'd be happy to show you around. That would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, well, we'll get to the Go Big project in a second here. I, I know just what Rob is referring to there on the photos on the left here is him at the Las Vegas uh, arena a few month, a month or so back. On the right was a trip that a group of us Husker fans took going out to Michigan in 2013, and we stopped at Notre Dame along the way. And it was a, a weekend where they didn't have uh, a home game. So on that Friday, we could take a tour of, of Notre Dame, and you know there we are up in the, the suites, and then you know walking down and touching the, the play like a champion trophy or sign on the wall and everything. So it is – it's a it's a cool experience and certainly something that you know I think we'd all love to see with Nebraska. Um, the last thing, maybe with uh, the Memorial Stadium stuff, I know when in the '90s when we when Boomer and I were going to college, their uh, capacity was like seventy five thousand. And what you know, people, it's kind of hard to think of it this way, but you know, today capacity is almost ninety thousand. It's basically we basically added a PBA to Memorial Stadium yeah. with the two thousand six addition to the north side and the two thousand thirteen addition to the east side. So um, as we continue to work forward and, and, and don't quote me on this, but I swear back in the day, there was like, they would say, Hey, you know, we have 75,000 people coming in and 15,000 people on a backlog of, of tickets. Right. Well, now that we're at 90,000, you know, that backlog isn't, isn't as big just from the numbers. So is there a sweet spot that Memorial stadium is have you guys come to any kind of conclusion with that? Could we see a thing, a future where it's, it's downsized a little bit, but right, maybe more right-sized, or is that not really – those discussions were not at that point yet? I would say, Hockey, we're not at that point yet, but we're, we're looking – we really want to make sure that what we're doing not only is best practices across the entire enterprise, but also makes sense for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. The, the average stadium size is much smaller. Um, I would say we're past the point of um, – 102,000 person stadiums, packing people in like sardines into stadiums, right? I think comfort is really important to a lot of people when they come to a, to a venue, especially when we all have choices now of sitting on our couch or going mm-hmm. to a sports bar, hanging out at the rail yard instead of coming into Memorial Stadium. Um, the experience, I think, is, a, is different than what it was before uh, now that games are all broadcast on, on really any television or device you want. Mm-hmm. So we're not probably there yet to understand if the capacity will go down, what it would go down to. Um, I would be shocked if we went, if we made it bigger, uh, let me put it that way. So my guess is that it would say either the same or decrease. 
as we look at seat capacity or excuse me, seat comfort, um, obviously making seats wider or adding chair backs does decrease capacity. So with any type of um, introduction of wider seats or seat um, seat width, there, there are some restrictions that we have there. The next mm-hmm. challenge is we have close to 70,000 season ticket holders. So any decrease in capacity, it's difficult to be able to say, Honky, you get to keep your seats. Rob, you don't. Boomer, you only get to keep two of your four, right? It's, it's it hard. is not hard for me to tell Rob he has to get rid of his. Joked <laughs> on you. I don't have season tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was easy then. So we actually yeah. just opened up four more seats. Yeah, we just opened. Well, actually, yeah. this is even this off season. Is there um, are they widening some of the seats even this off season? Is that kind of an ongoing process? That's right. So the in the end zones, we'll be we'll be widening some seats immediately. Um, so North and South will have wider seats, but that's based on, um, availability, right? So again, we're not Mm going to push anybody out of their seats. Uh, that's really important for me to state. You're not going to, no one's going to be told they can't come back into Memorial stadium. It will be a choice and we'll try to use the available inventory to renumber and and make some seats wider. So that's Mm -hmm. really the philosophy right now with the hope that we can continue to do more of that, um, in the long run, but it's a, it's a very complex, um, situation we we've we're enlisting a lot of experts when it comes to construction when it comes to structures uh, planning uh, any of these long-term capital campaigns uh, our construction season is not very long um, as you can imagine so let's say hypothetically we do make a significant improvement to the stadium and a big portion of it has to be offline for six months um, what how do we do that um, and ensure that we have it reopened for the start of the football season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because th- there's examples like A&M and Oklahoma that you know, are basically in one off season because of the weather they were able to tear down and build up. But yeah, we have we have different climactic concerns, I, I suppose. Um, I will say, you know, to Rob's point earlier, you know that I think how Las Vegas is is set up in Minnesota, the the pro one. Yeah, when you're starting from a, a blank canvas, you know you can build it exactly the way you want from scratch. I am really impressed with like the East Side. As an example, yeah. sitting up on the top side, the 600 level, I love going up there. It's, I've taken my son up there, and it's super easy going up escalators, and and you have your own concourse and and all the, the amenities of you know the, the restrooms and the Absolutely. and the concession stands. I mean, that's that's a you know that's a good example there. I think of, of how Memorial Stadium they've done some good things to, over time to retrofit, and it'll be interesting. The South Stadium is obviously the one that you know that it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens with it. There's, we have all kinds of ideas, but that's another show. Um, let's move on to the last part here. And that is the go big project. And yep. anyone that's been by Memorial stadium uh, in the last couple of months, or will be going there for uh, uh, the spring game, you will notice uh, cranes and you will notice buildings going up on the North, North side. The North stadium project is, is well underway. Um, I'm going to show a couple photos here, but Tyler, as I kind of do that, just go through it and explain to the, to the Redcasters, you know, what's going on, what's getting built and where are we at kind of in the timeline? Yeah. So it's, uh, all in all, it's a 315,000 square foot facility. Um, and it's really the best way I can describe it is almost like a walkout basement type of home. Okay. So the backside, um, that is on the football field side. So we're right now, we're looking at the front of the building. Um, on the backside, it walks out onto the practice fields. Um, but that, yeah, so that, that's a great one, Honky, right there. So that mm-hmm. bottom level um, is really the basement on the front level. Okay, so um, as you look at this view here, the bottom is uh, football operations level um, with the weight room on the right-hand side. 
The middle level will be an academic center and a training table. So a student athlete dining facility that is available to all 650 of our student athletes. And then the top floor is available for our football meeting spaces, um, coaches offices, uh, theater room, et cetera. Um, really anything and everything you would, you would want um, from an operations perspective from the football team. There is also going to be um, the ability to expand later. So uh, we want to make sure that as we're making this investment in this facility, it allows us to um, have future expansion. So some of it will be shelled out. We don't need this, the space right now, but who knows what, we'll, what it will look like in, in five to 10 years. Um, so the facility's original price tag was $155 million. Um, with the current rates of inflation and material costs and labor costs, that number has actually been uh, increased to $165 million. Uh, so our initial uh, fundraising goal was $100 million, and we had initially phased it into two. So $80 million to get it started, uh, which we hit um, but really when I arrived. Um, we were at entering into phase two. We had secured $80 million. Um, we were trying to close out that final uh, $20 million, um, and then we got an additional estimate to increase back up. So really, we needed to raise another $30 million. Fundraising is going very well for it. We're in a very good position. Um, in fact, we don't really have to phase it into two. Uh, Trev really wanted to make sure that we we don't phase this project. We get it all done in one fell swoop. So um, he's been very aggressive with fundraising. He's asked our team to be very aggressive with fundraising. So um, a lot of people have continued to respond. So there's still some work to be done for us to be able to get there, but um, a lot of really positive conversations um, as it relates to the project. And really dissecting it out even more, um, some of the key features of the facility, uh, sports medicine, um, weight room, anything and everything you would imagine for the football program to have uh, to be successful and efficient with their time. So new locker room, lounges, larger team meeting spaces. Mm -hmm. um, most people don't know this, but the original Osborne complex was designed for a, a football roster of 110. We now carry a roster of over 150. So when I say this facility is 315,000 square feet, we're not building a large facility just so we can go out on the recruiting trail and say, we have the largest facility in the country. It is a byproduct of us wanting to stay true to our walk-on program. Um, and carry a larger roster. So the weight room will be able to accommodate more um, of our kids. Uh, it'll be larger. Locker room will be larger. Team meeting rooms will be larger. Um, all of that was a, a main priority as we were designing the facility. And then really, too, uh, as we were making this enhancement, the current academic center and training table is on the west side, first floor of Memorial Stadium. Bringing that over to the east side puts it closer to the heart of city campus. So now all of our student athletes, if they're coming from a class in the business school, they're going to be able to walk right out of the business school, walk right through lot 12, go right into the new facility, um, you know, meet with an academic tutor, grab a meal, and then get right back into class. It's a more efficient location mm -hmm. uh, for all of our student athletes. So it, it will be our home um, for a very long time. Um, and in the landscape of what, NIL is doing with fundraising. It's it's possible that this could be one of the last large facilities across the country as other people are looking at what they're going to do um, from other schools. So we were one of the first back in the early 2000s um, with the Osborne Complex. Since mm -hmm. then, 62 out of the 65 schools around the country have put in in the Power Five have made some level of an enhancement to an operations facility. So 
The Osborne complex that we currently have is great, excluding the size. Uh, so this new facility not only will enhance that by giving us a better facility, but it's also large enough to accommodate our teams. Um, and really just to give you an idea of what we're up against as well. Um, Purdue just opened up a new facility. That's 112,000 square feet, $62 million project. Mm-hmm. And Illinois just did one that was 107,000 square feet. Um, then I think it was close to 80 million. And Rutgers is working on $150 million operations facility. So yeah, Northwestern's on the, on Michigan there. I mean, the, the, everyone has them, right? That's right. And that's right. I know going, one of the things that I appreciate so much about how Nebraska's is, is currently set up and, and will continue to be is the proximity and the efficiency you talk about. It's the proximity. Everything's right there. You go, I, I think it's Michigan's and it's a couple blocks away from the stadium. You Northwestern's, you're a mile or whatever away from Ryan Field is where the practice facilities are. And how Memorial Stadium is always kind of everything's been done in-house. Well, now it's it's that, you know, times 100 when you when yeah. you have removed the track. And now the, just the it's kind of a, I don't know, land grab or whatever, but it's a big land area now that's all kind of dedicated to football. And uh, three outdoor practice facilities there, the indoor one, uh, you know, it, it's great. And, you know, Rob asking the question earlier, too, about the tours, I love the North Stadium entrance and everything that they have, but I, I've always felt it was just it was clunky because you're walking in there and it's a working area. It's where yeah. students and 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 coaches and stuff are walking through too as you're trying to, you know, look at the Heisman room. And while for a fan that's great, I'm sure that's not always conducive for you know the, the people that are in there. It's a working facility. And so to have a some dedicated areas that can be for fans and dedicated areas for the people that are that are there doing their jobs, I, I can see how that can be beneficial to all. Um, what, what happens to the North stadium, like the current facilities there, is that been dis- decided yet? Like the, the current weight room, do you know what that's going to be? Yeah. So over that's, to? that's a part of really what is, is pushing um, us to do the, the survey is the entire West side of the stadium where the academic center is and training table is that will all move to the new facility. And then the first floor and second floor of North stadium are all football centric. So all those are moving mm-hmm. to the new facility. So we have a lot of square feet that we've got to repurpose and redesign and so now we're trying to figure out, do those stay as operational spaces or do we then convert those into fan facing spaces? So um, while we have vacated a lot of square feet, that's really the most important um, decision for us to make. And Trev really wants to have a, a long term master plan, uh, whether that includes facilities or not, just a strategic vision for where we're going. And Memorial Stadium, I would say, is a main um, priority mm-hmm. when it comes to that. What? Remind me again of what the completion date is for that. And um, a question that Hunky may have been leading up to, I don't know, but it's popped into my head. So I'm going to ask it. How is this affecting recruiting? Like, are you involved in any way around that and seeing how that's bringing in players like Casey Thompson and uh, Chubba Purdy and like, you know, some of these other big names that we're getting like um, uh, DeColdest, you know, like coming in, seeing that we're building this. Is this, are these things going to be completed in in their time there yeah, so the projected timeline right now is for us to get keys to the building in the in August of 2023. Construction is going well, um, so we're on a good timeline right now to be able to meet that threshold um, or meet that deadline. Um, and as it relates to recruiting, I can't directly speak to it, but I would suspect <laughs> that um, from where I sit and really what I tell a lot of people is development will or is and will always be a very important factor when it comes to recruiting. Um, facilities are how we get, uh, or how we develop our kids, how we keep them safe, how we keep them healthy. 
um, and how we build successful programs. So um, I think when any kid looks around the country and views the investment that the University of Nebraska makes in every piece of their student athlete experience, um, it's obvious that we're one of the top programs when it comes to every portion of what they will, will touch. Um, the training table is exceptional. You're going to get state-of-the-art technology when it comes to sports medicine to, to not only keep you healthy from a preventative care, but also rehabilitation. Um, the weight room is state-of-the-art. Our history is, is um, obviously littered with us being one of the first schools when it comes to the birthplace of, birthplace of strength and conditioning. We have a sports laboratory that we're doing a lot of sports science in. Uh, so in our history, we, we have always been dedicated to putting money back into infrastructure. And I think we always will continue to put money back into infrastructure. Yeah. And Honky, when Honky and I came last time, um, we walked through a section. I think we were able to view some of it. And we walked through a section where that sports laboratory was. And he was like pointing out to me, like, this is where they come. And they stick all those balls on the athletes and they like make them yeah. do all these different moves and, and record them. Um, and that was really cool just to see it right there inside the actual stadium itself, like as part of it. So it's kind of like mm. the athletes are experiencing that all along. Um, I never yeah, and then anything. security came and shoot us away. But I mean, that's a that's a whole they, separate story. Yeah, it's it's OK, man. The the scars from the handcuffs are finally starting to heal. So. <laughs> hey, well, if hey, you come to the spring game, you won't be shoot away from security. I'll walk you through there. Yeah, I've got access. You, don't have to you, know, you know, be careful what you offer me because <laughs> I am that guy. OK, yeah. Yeah, I, I really, really is. Like, yeah. like I will you be, may be I will tasing be, him yourself. Tyler. I will literally be yeah. FaceTiming yeah. you on <laughs> I-70, I-80 on my drive out there like hey man i'm gonna be there around four what you up to man can i buy you a beer let's go on that tour <laughs> uh boomer do we have uh, any final questions before we get to the to the parting shots here uh no i, I think they're pretty good nothing else from the fan base everyone just I, seems to be enjoying the listening yeah. well then i, I want to hand this over to boomer because um you know there's a lot of spaces that, that we've talked about new new spaces for the for the go big project and i know that that boomer has a couple specific areas or a couple specific ideas for at least some of the spaces and then maybe uh, some other things that we could do so boomer the floor is yours oh wonderful everyone's gonna regret this but uh <laughs> well, i think uh, any loyal listener of the redcast knows we have our uh, quixotic quests here uh, one of which is the uh the need for the uh, Ewald uh, Jumbo Steam statue somewhere on campus. With all the construction, you think there'd be room for that for Nebraska's finest two-sport coach? As a, and that kind of ties into just kind of one of our other ideas about it. It's just we don't always seem to recognize our really early history here at Nebraska the way a lot of other schools do. Granted, you know, Michigan claims titles from the colonial era, I think. But, uh, you know, when you look at even Memorial Stadium, we don't even – put the conference championships prior to 1928 on there we won on the on the west yeah on the, west on the, the stadium we have the whole list right? of the conference championships we only start in 1928 and i i've emailed a few people at the university before i'm sure they have me blocked by now which i mean <laughs> i would but uh, i've never gotten an answer of why we don't do that and why we don't seem to recognize you know all those sorts of the championships and, and earlier history like that before so Tyler, he's actually serious too. Like this isn't a joke. This is <laughs> yeah. People think I'm kidding. Yeah, Boomer, I'm really not. Boomer is, is literally probably one of the smartest Nebraska football or sports historians that you will ever meet. Like, and, and if you're talking to him, like it sounds like he's joking on our show, but he's a hundred percent serious. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, see Boomer back behind me. Um, you may not be able to make out the pictures, but those are, that's George Flippin um, in those, in that picture. I'm, I am a, a self-proclaimed historian myself. I, I do enjoy history a lot. I do not know the answer to that question of 
why we don't recognize any of those conference championships before a certain period. Um, so I will ask around and I'll see if I can get an answer for you. Um, but yeah, I think one of the, one of the things that is most important to me personally, just in my own experience is we have a, we have a very strong history um, at Nebraska from a very, very early point in our period, in our, in our existence. Um, there are a lot of really awesome stories to be told. And um, I, I think as we enter into the hundredth year of Memorial stadium, um, a lot of that history will already be showcased. I think we're, mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about that right now, what that looks like. So honestly, Boomer, this is timely for you to even ask that question um, because we're, we're discussing how we um, celebrate the hundredth year of Memorial stadium. So um, I'll mention it. I'll bring it up. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories as well about how Memorial stadium was started and Boomer, you probably know this as a historian yourself is that the community of Lincoln and the university of, of Nebraska came together to raise the initial seed money to build the initial structure of Memorial stadium. Um, and for someone who's in fundraising, that is a really cool story to hear. Um, Cause honky, you had mentioned, and I think you, you're, you hit it on the head. The ownership of our athletics programs um, from our fans is unmatched. I think our people view themselves as owners and that started early in our history. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Hmm. If I can, gosh, it, it, this is a whole different discussion. I don't even want to get down, but any way we could ever, ever in the process of redoing Memorial Stadium and however we do it, if we could ever re-expose the four initial corners, the windows, the, all the history, the tradition that comes with that. I, we've had scoreboards and, and video boards over them now since you know the 80s and 90s. Um, but man, th- there's so much history and tradition that came with those corners. I would just, I'd love to see something that could, that could, you know, expose those again to back to their original form. But to summarize Boomer here, um, championship years on the West side, a jumbo steam uh, tr- uh, statue somewhere. And then number three, and I got to give you a lot of credit here, Tyler, because you, you even tweeted at us this. So you were doing your homework, but uh, Boomer, what am I doing? <laughs> Well, that's the claw, obviously. You know. Well, well, and and explain again to the to the redcasters that maybe haven't heard this yet, but I'm sure they have. Well, I'm sure they've heard ad nauseum if they've been loyal listeners for the last five years. But uh, Nebraska also has the uh, Nebraska you know, University Athletics Hall of Fame on campus, and I've always thought that one of our deserving candidates uh, is a uh, former Nebraska great wrestler uh, James Rashke. Uh, he was a three-time letter winner in in wrestling here at Nebraska. He uh, actually won the big eight heavyweight wrestling title one of his times here and uh, was going to be in the Olympics, but got injured just days before he was set to go to the Olympics. And he says that's one of his biggest regrets in life. And he uh, walked on the football team and, you know, played a wide variety of sports and was a big uh, high school athlete here out of Omaha and came to the university on a academic scholarship that he got because his dad was a baker and had some sort of connection with a, with a baking scholarship there. He studied zoology of all things. And then he went into the army and won uh, championships in the, and the armed forces there and then got to the world of pro wrestling. And he was originally a really quiet kind of normal guy and had a hard time doing interviews. And then he was up in Canada and uh, hooked up with another well-known wrestler who also has a Omaha connection, uh, mad dog, Vashon, who actually <laughs> lived in Omaha for most of his retirement. And he suggested, Hey, why don't you look German? Uh, have you ever seen James Rashke? He looks like he's, I don't know, 60 now. He looked like he was 60 when he was in college. He's looked the same age basically forever. <laughs> And he said, you know, you can shave your head and you look like a German guy. And that's what he did. And he developed this persona of this kind of evil German, you know, foreign menace wrestler, which was popular in the 60s. 
and you know be so close to the world war and all that and he went on to a very long lengthy pro wrestling career particularly in the midwest he was really big in uh, the awa territory which people have heard me talk about before based out of minneapolis and nebraska was part of that territory and he would come to omaha a lot my grandparents would tell me stories about you know they'd come and watch him you know it, in omaha wrestle and you know they'd do the little claw thing and scare us as kids and things like that so the Baron, and to, yeah Baron, Baron von raschke yeah james raschke and yeah he was uh He's still alive today and uh, still in Minnesota. He speaks highly of his time at Nebraska. And uh, I know some of our uh, Minnesota uh, Twitter followers have commented how he comes to their events there and, mm-hmm. and will do things there. And there was a uh, documentary on him that just got made and released this last year. And um, wow. he's still showing that. up on wrestling events today. He was just on uh, AEW a few months ago live and in the crowd. So I've pitched it before. And once again, I'm pretty sure everyone at the athletic department has me blocked by now. But I've always thought he's a... Uh, Worthy candidate to be in the in the Hall of Fame, and uh, yeah, it should be inducted. The Baron, yeah, was our oh, hashtag that we have, and not Banner. <laughs> you know, banner. Yeah, good job, I'm trying to do this quick. We can induct the yeah. Banner too. I'm not. Yeah, sure we can induct the Banners we'll, too. We'll, so we'll get yeah. them in as well. Yeah, but that's not it. Specifically, Bruce. If we're doing Banners, yeah. we want Bruce Banner. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm not. I'm done typing. I'm done. Yeah, typing. probably for the best. Yeah, okay. there, there we go. That's there, there we induct the bear. Hashtag. But no, I do give you credit for doing your homework on that. So yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, Bruce Banner is uh, is the Hulk, right? Yeah. So yeah. I just want to be clear for those listeners that don't know that because, and we can't be friends if you don't. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, and, and we, Boomer, it's important for me to note that my DMs are open, so I have not blocked you uh, anytime <laughs> that you, Rob. Well, I may have to, based on the, some of the conversations tonight, I may have to be blocking Rob. That's um, right. I, I, it's well deserved. It, it's, it's <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, I'm happy to any of these ideas. I'm happy to at least get um, some level of a of a conversation going. Um, I All think right. it's important. Well, Tyler, you have received the full Redcast treatment, which is, hey, we're going to do a 20-minute show, and it turns into an hour and <laughs> 10 minutes or whatever. So that's uh, – And Rob's inviting you to weddings and things like yeah, that by I the mean, end of it. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fine. But What's this, what's this uh, Airbnb invitation you just sent me? <laughs> I don't <Trust> me. <laughs> well, Tyler, we really appreciate your time here. We're going to go through and do our, our parting shots. And then as is customary on the Redcast, uh, our guest gets to have the final one. So, uh, Boomer, I'll start with you. Okay, well, my uh, parting shot, it's uh, non-sports related, but uh, anyone who follows us on Twitter knows our love of uh, posting memes, uh, particularly live-looking GIFs. And uh, sad news today, uh, Stephen Wilhite, the creator of the uh, GIF format, passed away uh, due to illness, I, I believe COVID. But uh, And we can debate, so maybe we'll throw a poll up later. Is it GIF or GIF? He says it's GIF, but I say English gets away from the original creators of words, and it, it should be GIF, but we can argue that another time. But shout-out to Stephen. He's given us hours and hours of entertainment thanks to thanks to fun fun internet memes so all right uh rob first of all the g stands for graphic people that's a hard g so it is gif all right it's not <laughs> peanut butter let's let's just be clear there and and as a parting shot as always i would just like to thank tyler for coming on um i probably will be messaging g when i when i do come out but i promise it won't be he every be. single day for the next hour every hour i be. leave that to my relationship with honky um <laughs> but um i i actually would love it if we could just kind of get together and say hello at least while i'm out there because i'll be out there for a few days and and uh you know i i love touring lincoln it's 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 a such a such a welcoming friendly town um spring spring game is a great time to be there so um regardless if you have time for us or not at least just a quick hello would be would be appreciated that'd be cool absolutely all right and tyler floor is yours 
Yeah, well, that's a good segue into my parting shot. So we have 17,000 annual donors. Uh, it's important for us to get to know as many of them as we possibly can. Whether you're here in Lincoln um, or in Greeley, Colorado, we want to get to know you. Um, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, it's really important to us to find people that care a lot about this place, and we know they're out there. So um, my my DMs are open on social media. I love engaging with people on social media. Uh, feel free to shoot me a DM, tweet at me. Uh, I will uh, reply to your tweet. I like to engage with people. Uh, but really, if there's uh, anything we can be doing to better connect our our fans and our donors back to the department, we'd love to do it. So I appreciate this platform you guys gave me, and thanks for having me on tonight. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight on the Redcast. And until we see you next, Redcasters, that's another Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. A Huda Media Production.